Would you mind introducing yourself for the audience, please? Yeah. Okay. Well, my name is David Gray. I'm a I'm a oil painter. I'm a career artist. Um, I'm from the United States. Uh, born and raised in the Seattle area in Tacoma, Washington. I now reside in uh, the state of New Hampshire on the other side of the country. And um, yeah, I, I, I paint uh, mostly uh, oil paintings for the art market. Um, traditionally, I have sold through galleries, but for the last few years, I've just been selling um, direct and uh, a few commissions and I also teach. So um, the I don't teach at a accredited universities normally. I just teach at independent studios who invite me to come out and do intensive workshops. And normally they last four or five days. Um, I've done up to two weeks before. Uh, and basically in the workshops, I just teach my technique. I just kind of expound on, you know, what I know about the medium and, and, you know, workshops are not easy because you have a very limited amount of time working with a group of people that are, you know, have all levels of experience and abilities. So it's not necessarily ideal, but as long as people are going to invite me and show up, um, I enjoy doing it and I really love traveling, especially uh, outside of my area and especially overseas to do that. So, so that's kind of in a nutshell, what I do, what I am, who I am, but there's a lot more to it. How long have you been painting, David? Uh, so I started, so I'm 53, kind of old, um, but, uh, you know, I was born in 70, and uh, when I was, um, I think, uh, I would say my mid-20s, I started seriously oil painting in, um, you know, a somewhat distinct direction of realism. Did you, did you go to art school? Is it mainly self-taught? Yeah, it's all of that. Um, I, I, I didn't go to art school. I went to, so I went to university initially to study science. I thought I was going to be, um, uh, I, I, my plan was to become a physical therapist. So um, I was an athlete in my younger days. And if you're an athlete, invariably you end up getting injured and have to do therapy. And that's sort of an interesting, sustainable um, job, you know, might be a while before they hand that over to AI, but uh, maybe we're not that far. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I ended up changing my my direction, and I, I graduated uh, from a liberal arts college with an art degree, but it was very broad. Um, I have a Bachelor of Fine Art undergrad degree, and I did a lot of studio. It was it's a studio degree. I did all kinds of things. Um, I didn't. Interestingly, I did not take a single painting class. <laughs> um, I wasn't that interested in what was coming out of the painting studios. Um, so I stuck with other things that interested me. But afterward, I, uh, I took some workshops and uh, I had a foundation. 
And also, I'm just one of those DIY guys. You know, I'll figure it out. You know, I'll read about it. I'll experiment. And uh, I, I knew I had some ability, especially with drawing. So I just thought, I'll figure it out. It can't be that hard. But it's obviously, well, I, well, I came to find out it's a vast, vaster country than I could ever have, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, imagined. But so, yeah, so a little bit of a little bit of formal training, some workshops uh, and then a lot of easel time, a lot of reading, a lot of. So I was. um in my early 20s, my early and mid 20s, you know, the internet was was just getting going. And so I was at the library a lot. And I, I was at the bookstores also reading, not buying magazines and books. <laughs> I would spend hours <laughs> just reading. And um, this one was at a day and time when you could actually do that. And it wasn't a big deal. But bookstores were like, yeah, you whatever, you know, buy it when you want or if you want, or, you know. That's something else we've almost lost is some really cool bookstores. But, um, yeah, so I was at the libraries and bookstores a lot and reading and, you know, trying to apply what, what I thought was pertinent to what I wanted to do. So, yeah, all of that yeah. is a part so, of so my, my training. Self-taught or self-learned and... Yeah, it was similar. And we've talked on this podcast about art education quite a lot. And, um, you know, I didn't paint at all at, at mm. university. Um, but it was that interest in painting, especially the art history and stuff, uh, uh, going and reading books on Constable Turner, etc. And yeah. you, you kind of find your own way like that. Were there any particular books that, that inspired you? Yeah, yeah, there were. Um, so um, you y'all probably know about uh, the Aristides Atelier, Julian Aristides. I'm guessing no? no. Okay. So do you know about Jacob Collins, Grand Central <laughs> Academy? So Juliet, um, Juliet Aristides was a student of Jacob's, um, and she also studied with other people. But she's got an atelier in Seattle. And she started writing some really good material that I thought was, for me, it was, um, okay, this is, this is it, this stuff right here. Because I had read some of the old stuff, you know, the Andrew Loomis, you know, drawing stuff. Um, you know, the artist Richard Schmidt had written a book called A La Prima, Everything I Know About Painting. And I absolutely devoured that. Even though I wasn't an a la prima painter, it was just a lot of good, solid information in there. Um, there's a guy, he's, I don't know if you guys know him. His name's Greg Krutz, I believe. Uh, he, I don't hear about him a lot, but he's an amazing artist. And he wrote a book called Problem Solving for Oil Painters. And it's one of those books that normally you can find in the used bookstores. Oh, there it is, you know. And I don't hear people talking about it, but it's one I always bring up because I'm like, it is just solid, fundamental pictorial expression. And this guy also does not paint anything like me. He means very painterly, very loose, um, very wet. Um, but his the way he wrote that and the stuff that he talked about, I'm like, yeah, that's that's it. But um, when the when the Aristides material came out, 
Um, she wrote two books initially, one called Classical Drawing Atelier and Classical Painting Atelier. It was the second one. And uh, when I read those, I thought, oh, okay, I am more or less a classical realist, you know, um, because I loved what she was saying. Um, she, you know, when we're trying to figure this stuff, like I used to journal a lot, I think a lot and would write about things and write about ideas on technique and what makes a good painting and all this stuff. And when I read the Aristides material, she just very brilliantly wrote, I'm like that, that, that's what I've been trying to articulate to myself, you know? And that happened several times. And I was just like, oh, I'm so grateful for her, you know? So, um, you know, eventually we do have, we, we are friends uh, um, a little bit. Uh, she's hard to get a hold of. You have to reach out to her. She's never going to reach out to you. <laughs> but uh, we used to have lunch every once in a while. So it was a pleasure to get to know her a little bit and uh, also tell her how, how meaningful the, the stuff was. But, you know, she is just a consummate artist, artist, and, and you know, always just, you find it in the work and you find it in, I don't know. It's it's not highbrow. It's uh, I don't know. It's uh, maybe it is a little highbrow for some people, but it's just it's really blue collar art making, and she she has a, a brilliant way of sort of helping you understand it, um, how to just simple just simple fundamentals. But if you do the fundamentals right, it's amazing. You know what what they can express. So. So were you, as you were sort of developing as a painter, you, you were kind of using this as inspiration and it was feeding in you, both from a, say, a theoretical point of view, as well as the practical elements? Yeah. Yeah, because before then, and also, okay, I grew up in the Seattle area, which is there are so like Juliet's there and then there's a few other artists there as well, but it's basically an art desert. It's not like out here near Boston where there's all kinds of artists to meet and, you know, um, in the, in that are, that are working in the, the vein that I am, you know, that I could learn from. So I was kind of by myself and I was just learning from what I was seeing in the books and I didn't know, you know, I just tried, tried to put it together. So it gave me a lot, a uh, lot to chew on. Um, eventually I did take a workshop out at uh, Grand Central and just, that's an amazing place. Just going through the halls and those studios and seeing the student work is just a lesson, many lessons in and of themselves. You know, it's like, oh, oh, you know, <laughs> all these, all these, I guess, aha moments, as we call them. Yeah. But, um, Do you have a question, Sam? Yeah, I was, because uh, I had a look and I saw that you also um, make some abstract paintings and you shared your doodles and things on, on your Instagram account. And yeah. it's always nice to see, because you don't always see that side yeah. of uh, people with a classical approach. And I was just wondering what, you know, does, does that kind of... Uh, difference between the two approaches do they inform each other or are they completely different mindsets for you how do you approach that yeah yeah they are they do inform each other and they are more similar for me anyway 
than you might think. Um, and I've had some conversations with artists about this and I, I would like to dedicate more time to abstraction. Um, and there was just a time, I haven't done an abstract painting in a little while, but uh, I would love to. And what I found is uh, it's, it's very different in that, you know, with realism, there's, there's something I'm looking at. Like right now, I'm, th there's my painting and there's my still life set up, you know, and I'm responding to reality. I'm responding to, you know, nature as it were. And, um, you know, even if I'm using, you know, photo references that I've taken myself, I'm still responding to something that is sort of, you know, sort of real, quote unquote. So the abstract, you don't have that, you know, and you can, you know, have a sketchbook and, and have ideas and things like that, but it's not based to, for me anyway, and I know some abstract painters are different. It's sort of loosely based on, for me, it wasn't. I, I wanted it to be completely non-representational. Um, in fact, sometimes I'm doing it and it's starting to look like something. And I'm like, oh, no, I got to go in a different direction because I don't want it to look like. But it's almost impossible, right? Because our whole being, our whole biology is, is in our eyesight is based on identifying things you know, seeing things, identifying what is that, you know, do I need to stay away from that? Is that something I want? Is that pleasurable? Is that painful? You know, and so I, it's so strange how you're, at least for me, in my abstraction, it's like there was a part of me that wanted to make something out of it, wanted it to start to look like, and I'm like, no, I, it was like a, a major effort to you know, scrub it out or, or, or make other marks to go away from that. But but what was similar was, you know, I, I do have kind of a color palette that I gravitate towards certain color uh, um, relationships that I gravitate toward, um, value relationships, darks and lights, and certain patterns. And in that respect, it's very similar, you know, because, uh, you know, when you're painting from reality, and you're painting a realist painting, um, you know, you, ha you have to edit what you're looking at because, you know, reality is reality and that's all interesting. But uh, when you're, you know, painting this limited, within this limited parameters on a flat surface with, I just, you know, with mud, colored mud with these sticks with the hairs attached to them, it's very like Neanderthal. Like, how do we make something beautiful? So you have to edit and you have to think about color and value and, and relationships, warm and cool and, you know, different colors, how they re re respawn. It's so much more than just, oh, I can paint that assemblage of objects or that person um, and make it look like them, which is, that's like the last, I don't, you know, yeah, okay, but that's a given, right? <laughs> that's like breathing. Yeah, we're going to breathe, but how are we going to breathe? You know, and are we going to breathe beautifully and whatever? But so in that respect that, you know, it's all, pic it's pictorial expression. And so what makes a good picture? What makes a good painting? And so those kinds of, I guess, lofty considerations are, are, at they're still right here you know whether you're painting 
something very realistic or something you're just inventing. Mm. And the caricatures, I, I just, I don't know. That's like people say, keep a sketchbook. My sketchbook is all imaginative stuff. Like it, very rarely will I look at something and sketch it. It'll be just abstract images or caricatures. I love, I don't know. I've loved drawing caricatures since I was a kid. I'm not amazing at it. I'd like to get better at it. There's just some, some people out there that are incredible caricaturists and it's very inspiring. So there's just so many different things I would like to do. And there's only so much time in the day. Do you come across epiphanies in your abstract work, just as you do in figurative? And are they in the yeah. same places, or are they incomplete? Are they in the color relationships, or are they in the composition? I mean, where does that happen? Just if I can narrow you down to more specific instances. I think I think I think what's unique for me in abstraction is the mark making, mm -hmm. and how the mark making becomes more of the subject than in so in realism mark making is important to me as well but not as important it serves a function to describe something whereas in abstraction it's the thing itself it can be the thing itself you know so it's um and to discover that you know and to not know that's the other thing i don't know like I, i'm not a seasoned abstract painter so every time i go into one it's like oh what am i going to learn this time you know, or, you know, what am I going to, what am I going to find that I gravitate toward? And I want to cultivate that. Or what am I going to find? It's like, Ooh, I don't like that. That's not me. Or that just doesn't feel right. Or whatever. And that whole exploration is very, it's very interesting. And like, I didn't, I couldn't tell you why, you know, would everyone gravitate toward that or just me or certain people, you know? So as they say, there's no accounting for taste, you know, but, um, but all of that is very interesting. It's like a very raw, like what does, what do you want to express? How do you want to express it? And when the, when the answer is always just a sea of question marks, it's like, okay, here we go. Let's go. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Let's I find it. With abstraction as well. Um, I've mentioned this before on a podcast. I teach painting. So um, mm. you, landscape painting usually. So usually start with the horizon, but from what I know, I'll do or get my students to do, start with just a, a vertical line or a diagonal line. But I find with abstract painting, and maybe you find this as well, I think it's such an important exercise for, for painters, realistic, impressionistic, whatever, because you are forced to make decisions with every mark you make. Yeah, yeah. There becomes a kind of a junction or a crossroads with it. Yeah. And it, it's like where do I go next? You know, where it, if you're working from um, sort of representationally, you, you know, kind of know where you have to go next because yeah. it's in front of you. Um, yeah. But, but with that sort of non-objective or non-representational abstraction, you, you're kind of playing a game of chess with the painting a little bit, aren't you? You're sort yeah. of trying to... Um, and I, I really do think it's a source for, for great learning as a painter, no matter what you paint. Do, do you find that? Yeah, I think it is. And I've, I've, uh, you know, again, uh, just it, it's about pictorial expression. It's about making something compelling within these very narrow parameters. 
which since, you know, humanoids could pick up a piece of charcoal, we were been intrigued about making marks. And why is that? I don't know, but we're still a little bit mad about it. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know if I'm answering that very well, but there, there is a lot of lessons. And uh, what I, one thing that I forgot to mention, but you sparked it when you said it was like, I, when I don't know, I, I thought that painting abstractly, I would come up with a product more quickly, but no, <laughs> not at all. I, I, I had less contact with the canvas or the board in terms of paint application, but I would do make a couple of marks and I would sit there. Hmm. What next? You know, hmm. whereas realism, that's rarely the case, you know, um, although there is sometimes you're sitting there like, wait, how do I make this into something more, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I found that very interesting and, um, more meditative or, uh, Sort of, I'm just thinking of this image um, of Mark Rothko. You know, he had an armchair sat in front of his his camera, and he would spend more time sitting in the armchair staring at yeah, the, yeah, canvas and thinking, "Where do I go next?" Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I one thing I didn't mention was I I've been a bit of a musician in my past as well, and so when I when I paint abstract, you know, music is so interesting, especially instrumental music without lyrics, without words, you know, because, you know, even a baby can, can know if, if a piece of music is happy or it's sad or, you know, it's communicating something. And so that that's always a fascination. How do we know, you know, how do we know that this composition of notes and, and sounds, you know, can create emotions? And so I, I think about that a lot totally um, with the abstract is like, okay, what am I, you know? And I, sometimes I don't even know. I just know I want it to pull me in somehow. And I don't, that's the other thing too, is like, you don't have to identify everything, bro. <laughs> you know, like just, yeah. because we want to do that, right? I, uh, some of us uh, are really cerebral. We want to, we want to, we want to put a name on everything. We want to explain everything. And there's a certain point. It's like, okay, I can let that go. Man. Just make some Do you recommend your students, um, realist painters, that they embrace an element of abstraction, say, on the side? Because some sometimes there's a, you know, when we're painting, even if it's realism, mm -hmm. you need to be a bit of a risk taker. You know, you need to to do things sometimes just just to sort of nudge the painting on, just to do something that is um, mm -hmm. brave. And mm -hmm. sometimes you can find that in a abstract painting or impressionistic painting, and then bring it over. Would you recommend that? Yeah, it's harder to do. At least it's harder for me to do in realism because I'm not always that brave. Right. There are certain you know, there, there's certain um, prerogatives or there's certain things like I want to make sure this happens in this painting, this happens, this happens. If I can get those objectives done, you know, then there's other things that could happen maybe 
do they need to happen to, you know? So I'm working on that. Um, I, I think rather than making abstract, so I think in terms of composition, you know, exploring the, the pictorial space, um, that's all an abstract concern, you know? It doesn't matter if you're painting realism or not. Um, to me, anyway, it's, 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 um, so, you know, I, I have taught a little bit of composition and it's interesting <laughs> because I don't know, you know, there's all, there's the armatures and all oh, the old masters did this and they divided it this way, whatever. I don't know, man, you know why? Because I will do a painting where I didn't use any armature, nothing, nothing like that. And I will get it done. And some of, I've done this a few times with more complex still life paintings I've done. And after it's done, then I'm like, oh, there it is. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, how did, why? I didn't know. I wasn't trying, you know, I don't know. So I don't know about that, but I, I do, I do try, I do explain to people like it's, you know, it needs to work and there are certain rules, but I just, you know, I'm not an academic really when it comes to this. I'm just, I, I'm just a guy who likes to paint and I've picked up a few things. But um, what I would recommend though, is do some paintings that you don't give a shit about and you give your chance, you give yourself a chance to be bold and brave and try something. And that's, I think that is something I, I encourage my students a lot with short, small studies, things that don't take loads of time and loads of materials to do and do many, many, many of them because every student I have, they're terrified to make that one mark. And I'm like, you gotta go, go. You know, and I will even, in my demonstration, I'll take my charcoal and I'll go. And I'll say, see, okay, I did it first, all right? I made the mistake, now let's fix it, you know? Or I'll intentionally put a mark that was super wrong and they're all, you know, like, oh my God, what are you gonna do? I'm like, yeah, you just fix it, bro. Here, watch this, okay, done, now we move on, you know? So anyway, that getting over that, that and I suppose, I need to do that for more for myself because a minute ago I just said, yeah, I struggle a little bit with being brave enough to do. But I have done some things where I've, I've allowed that. Um, I think what where it gets hard is when your painting starts to become something that is valuable to you. Okay, now yeah. that's when, you know, can I be brave? Should I put this, whatever it happens to be, you know, this very bold mark or or something, but um, yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole mindset. I think it needs to be set aside. And that's the challenge, I think a lot for someone like me who, I mean, I'm trying to live, survive off of this. And so for me, and I can only speak, I've heard so many things from so many artists and I, I wanna call bullshit so much, but for me, there's always that, is this going to sell? Are people going to like this? Are people going to respond to this? And I always have to pull back and go, no, David, if you like it, you're a human being, your viewers are human beings. You know, you all come from different places, but basically have the essentially similar 
you know, sensory organs. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so try to pull back. You know, if you like it, somebody's going to like it. You know, because it's, I your, think that's, it's your expression. And yeah, we, we've talked yeah. about this with artists, that thing of where you, you start to step into that, you know, is, is this something that will sell? And just like yeah. that, that thing of when the painting becomes too precious, you mm -hmm. don't take those risks. I think it can, one can like really feel it in the painting. Whereas some of the best paintings are those ones where you've just gone in sort of kamikaze and just done it. Yeah. And it's got that energy. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like, I'm not an investor, but it's like investing, you know, there's risk reward, you know. Yeah small risk, small reward, big risk, big reward. And, and also you may come up with shit. Yeah. You know? So, so, but it's, it's definitely worth it. And uh, I remember, so there was a time when I, my kids were little, happily married at the time, everything was going pretty well, you know, I was painting a lot and I had sort of, hit on something that worked that sold well and I was happy with it and I was happy doing it and it was kind of a machine you know blip 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 okay cha-ching 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 and that worked and that was fine and I had a, a lot of responsibility I had people I had to be responsible for you know I had to take care of my family so I was okay with that you know I was okay with not being so bold and so you know, I was like, no, this is this is how I paint now, you know, and I'm okay with it. So um, it, it there's a lot of considerations. There's that. There's how long does it take you to do a painting? Um, and, you know, you might need to budget for some experimentation, you know, seriously, like how you budget for a vacation, budget for experimentation. Like, here, take some time. Mm -hmm. and don't worry about the money right now, you know, and see where that takes you. So all of that has been, I've never made it to the point where I have such like, a, you know, a chunk of money over here where I can just play as much as I want. Um, so it, it, it's, it's an interesting little dialogue. I constantly have. Um, fortunately, I, <laughs> I live simply. I have simple needs. I don't, I don't have fancy cars and fancy clothes. So, uh, you know, I, I don't need that much money, actually. So I can, <laughs> I can play if I want. Simon, do you, do you want to ask a question? Yeah, well, speaking of which, actually, uh, there are a specific type of brush that you go to and that you're a favorite of and you buy collections of. Can you talk about that a little bit for anyone who isn't familiar with your Instagram and, and your uh, association with this product? What's that? Yeah, well, are you talking about the Trickell yes. brushes or okay? Okay, so that the brush thing is an interesting journey because although I am pretty budget minded when it comes to materials and and I mean use the best you can, you know, use the best you can afford. I don't. I think that's a good. I think that's good advice. But I was, I've spent literally, and I mean literally thousands of dollars on brushes trying to find, okay, what works for me. And I've bought the cheap ones and I bought the expensive 
ones and everything in between. And what I've discovered is there's just not the perfect brush, you know, and, and this is the other thing you spend all this money on brushes and guess what? Even if you take care of them, they wear out eventually, you know, they start to fray and they lose their shape and there's all kinds of tricks that I've done to, to delay that. But if you can find a reliable source of a brush that consistently works, I think that's a good thing, you know? So like there's, I use a certain brand of paint. I, I, and so these brushes, so there's this company in California called Trekel and um, they're, I don't know, not as widely known as, as they should be in my opinion. Um, but they make all kinds of different brushes and they also like, they will do things, they've done this recently. If if customers aren't buying a certain size or type of brush, they'll discontinue it, you know? So they are a business. It's not like we're going to have everything available. We're only going to have, we're only going to make stuff that makes money, but they do. Um, so there's two types of brushes I like to have. I like to have hog bristle and I like to have a softer brush. Now, uh, back in the day, that would be sable you know, um, those are getting really expensive. And, you know, the synthetics are keeping right up. Oh, you can sell sales for the, oh, we'll just sell our plastic bristles for, you know, it's like, come on, really? You don't need to charge that much. But, um, and, you know, Trickel, I think also the reason I have gone to them a lot is I feel like they are, you know, they're keeping up with everyone else, but it seems like a little bit lower than most everybody, you know. Some of the other, and I'm not going to name any names because I've used all everyone's brushes and there's a lot of good brush companies out there. Um, but I just, I don't know, Trickel has just kind of been become my buddy. And um, they've uh, let me know I'm going to be on their pro team now. So I'm, and they, I've sold tons of brushes for them just in my workshops like not me like you don't know guys owe me anything i just like your company and then they started kind of you know patting me on the back for that and then i i recently you know tried to get on their pro team and they've said yeah you can be on our pro team so I, that's another conversation it's not really that important or interesting but but it's um so it's kind of cool What's that? Sorry, on the pro team, I'm sort of picturing it. Would you be doing demonstrations, touring, and traveling around? Sort of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah man, <laughs> I'm gonna go on tour. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, let me finish. I didn't finish answering the first one, then I will. I'll oh, sorry. That entails no so well because i get off on these stupid rabbit trails sometimes so you gotta rein me in but so the hog bristles i want and then the softer and the ones they make are called legions and there are these ones and they call and a lot of the brush companies have these they call them their faux mongoose fake mongoose hair and they kind of died to look a little bit natural you know, I don't know why. You don't need to do that. I don't care what color it is. I just want it to, you know. But it's a soft, but it's got a nice spring. You know, it's soft, but not too, too soft. 
Um, but when they wear out, let me show you what one after it's gone through the David Gray mill <laughs> after a while. So let's see. Okay, so these are the same number. These are both number eights. Oh, wow. So here's the new one. Mm -hmm. It's really nice and crisp. I love how, you know, if you turn it on edge, you can, you know, it's really, you get really tight. Yeah. This one is the same, <laughs> but it's been used. It's see how it starts to splay out. Yeah. But what's really great, and this is, you know, I've taken care of this really well. It's very clean. And I don't even try to like keep the fact that it's kind of splayed out like that. This is a great brush. It's going to be have a completely different character than this one. But with those bristles that start to go out, like spread out like that, I can grab a ton of paint and just, you know, a nice juicy brush stroke with this one. So that's, that's the other thing I like is like, it becomes a different brush, but it's still usable. Mm. But, um, so anyway, and those are called legions. So there's my plug legions. Um, so those are great. So the, what will, yeah. So what they want from me is just to do a little more, you know, social media plugs from, for them. Um, and then I get a certain amount of free stuff, which they were kind of giving me already. So I don't know if that's really going to change, but um, yeah, but then they do workshops too. They sponsor workshops. And so I've never done a Trek hell uh, sponsored workshop. So that, that may be in the future. I'm not sure. But um, as long as I keep plugging them, um, and well, I'll keep plugging them as long as they make a good product. And um, one thing about the company, and they don't mind people knowing this, they used to make the brushes in-house. So they used to be a brush maker. But now the, the original owner has sold the company now, and now they, they're made in other parts of the world, you know. They're not made in America, but, um, and I did, I do, did actually notice a, a little difference, but um, they're still a pretty damn good brush. So I'm going to, I'm going to plug them as long as they keep making a good, good product. I'll keep plugging them. So as we're on materials, um, we often ask artists about their color palette. So mm -hmm. that would be a good point to ask that question. Do you stick to one color palette? Do you vary? Yeah, pretty much. I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 10, 12. Yeah, I use around 11 or 12 colors I I use. And um, there are, sometimes I'll switch a color out, but um, I've found that more than 11 or 12 colors, it starts to become these extra colors are redundant, shall we say? Like, I don't need them. Um, and then if it's less than that, because I have, I when I first started painting, I had about seven colors because I worked briefly with a, a guy. I took some painting lessons from him uh, briefly. And so I got my starting colors from him. And then from there I expanded. But um, yeah, less than that is like too little, more than that's too much. So it's, I've just kind of hit on. You Do know, you mind sharing what colors you have? at the moment on your palette? No, I don't mind. I don't mind. Um, so 
titanium white is my white. I also use, I've started using lead white as well. So I have, I don't always, uh, I've done some paintings with, where lead white was my only white, just so I could get familiar. Okay. What is this stuff? You know, but I generally use uh Rublev, uh, lead white number one or number two. I think is what they call it. Yeah. And so that's just for certain, you know, it's got a different character um, if you've used lead white before. Um, titanium white, I think is my workhorse. I have, you know, it's titanium. Um, and uh, M. Graham is the brand also. Well, no, they don't pat me. They don't pat me on the back like Trakel. So <laughs> I'm only going to mention it once, but they make a really great paint. It's a it's a walnut oil vehicle instead of a linseed oil vehicle. I don't know how important that is, but it's you know we could talk about it if you want to. But um, I like it. it. There's a very subtle difference that it just turns me on. So um, cadmium yellow, yellow ochre, cadmium orange, cadmium red light transparent red oxide um, and then I normally have raw umber next which that's changed I'll explain that in a minute um, and then I have uh, it's a synthetic alizarin crimson so it's M. Graham calls it anthraquinone red but it's basically alizarin permanent some of the paint makers call it um, dioxazine purple, which is sort of a new color for me. I, I haven't used that much and I don't use much of it, but it's kind of nice to have. You just need to pop some really, you want to pop a really intense purple. There it is. Um, ultramarine blue and phthalo green. And, um, and I'll just say about M. Graham is, you know, it's professional paint. It's just oil and pigment. There's no fillers. There's no extra stuff. And I've done some side-by-side -side tests with some of the paints that I consider the best paints out there that you can buy that are not somebody somebody made in their studio. And it, it holds up. Like the pigments are brilliant. And sometimes they are better even. Like they're more brilliant. And I know, um, you know, pigment like where the, where the paint manufacturers are getting their pigments, some of those sources are becoming less and less and less and less. And so some of the paint manufacturers, they're getting their pigments from the same places. Right. So yeah. you would think they should have the same intensity, but they don't. So I don't know what, I don't know what the processes are happening. That's actually making, and I, I don't want to say any names of paint manufacturers that, I think their colors are crap because I like the company in general. I'm just like, why does this mm -hmm. color like does does not even close to like yeah. the color I use? It's interesting. But yeah, just about M, M. Graham. Um, they make a fantastic cobalt turquoise, um, which is PB mm. PB twenty eight pigments, which is mm. the same mm. cobalt blue, but it is just incredible i've got got a tube of that and and like you oh, say nice. lovely lovely paint it's a lovely texture and consistency to, to yeah 
Yeah, I like them. Um, you know, sometimes you may have had this happen when you squirt them out. And then, you know, a lot, sometimes some excess oil will come mm -hmm. out. You know, some people get bothered by that. Just squirt it out on a paper towel. You know, um, that's actually a good sign. The fact that, you know, when you squirt out paint, it's always consistent. It's not necessarily a bad sign, but a lot of those paints have fillers and, you know, they're kind of homogenized with something. Whereas uh, the better paint, sometimes the paint and oil will separate a little bit in the tube and you'll have that happen. It's not actually a bad thing. So I just want to, any listeners that have that happen, don't, you know, don't think that that's, that's not good. Um, a, a so good, why roll a, rubber? Why a good roll paint, rubber? yeah, can have happen. Okay, so raw umber. So used to have raw umber, which uh, M. Graham also makes a great raw umber. It's not so green or yellow as some of the other ones. It's more neutral. And if you add white to it, it actually makes a somewhat cool kind of gray. I really, really like it. It's a really nice neutral and earth, dark earth color to have on your palette. Um, but not having, not wanting, you know, trying to keep my palette down to, you know, between 10 and 12 colors or so. So in my painting, um, I do a lot of mixing of um, transparent red oxide and ultramarine blue. So you may have noticed I don't have a black on my palette. I do, I have painted with ivory back, black quite a bit. And I don't have a problem with ivory black. Some people, I don't know what their thing is. Somebody told them one day, don't use black, you know, whatever. Ivory black's a great color. I just don't have it on my palette right now. But to make a dark black, I mix ultramarine blue and transfer red oxide. And I just love those two colors together because I can shift cool or I can shift warm, you know. If I want a cool black, a little more blue. If I want a warm black, a little more of the transparent red oxide. So I've now pre-mixed an optical black with those two colors. So I've got it pre-tubed. So that's my black now. Um, and then I went ahead and I mixed. So I'm not good with like value six, value seven, whatever. It's a middle value of gray. So it's transparent red oxide, ultramarine blue and titanium white mixed to for a middle middle value gray. So I have those two kind of in the middle of my colors. So I have my warm colors, my cool colors, and in the middle I've got my my optical black and my gray. And those are just they're just so it's so helpful. It, you yes. know, you know that color's too too hot, okay, hit that gray. Okay, and that. the fact that it's me you know, like some people will will do a string of nine values of gray. I'm like Okay, if you want to, fine. You just don't need all of that, you know. And I'm just, I've done it, you know. I've I've done all the different things. I think the only thing I haven't done is done like a serious painting in just like the Zorn palette or something. But, yeah. um, yeah. So it's I found that to be really helpful to have that. That, that combination is. It's funny. This morning I was actually teaching and just using um burnt sienna which is it was basically pr 101 tr yeah, yeah. same, same as yeah. oxide, an ultramarine blue um mm -hmm. and i got the students to do one very kind of abstract landscape seascape in the cool gray black version i.e more blue and then mm -hmm. one in the warmer 
element to adding more uh, Burnsy and to, and I think if there were, and I would say if if um, you were only allowed two colours, all the paint manufacturers, everything shut down, you allowed two colours plus white. For me, it would have yeah. to be those two. You can go. Yeah, so for sure. I, I've definitely, yeah, my painting has evolved to where I found those those three colors are so yeah. instrumental in everything, yeah. you know, you need to dark sun something, you need to lighten something, you need to cool something, you need to warm something. I mean, it's all there. And yeah. I should probably do like a, a painting of just those three, but, yeah. you know, and then, so think of all the different combinations you got with just nice. those three colors and then add just like, yellow ochre or something and then it's like you know so it, it, it's amazing and that's why i don't need like 14 colors or whatever but it's also i i don't mean to say if you do use 14 15 20 colors that that's wrong it's not it's just in the way i express in, the, in my dialect of, of painting this is what works for me this is my car that i drive you know and that works for me and i can pretty much drive wherever i want you know, if I get really crazy and abstract and want to work with some of these crazy neon things or some of the metallics that are out there that look kind of fun and interesting, I don't know. I, that may be in the, in the future, but we'll see. Cool. There's so much you can do. Like I said, you know, it's a vast country just it's with... It's endless, man. <laughs> and just endless. With, with that many colors and like experimenting with intensity is like chroma like you know punch the chroma there you know like keep the value at the same thing and just punch it a little bit you know it's like there's so much you can do and you know uh artists that i i really love a lot of illustrators and that's something we do have a lot in seattle is we have a lot of a lot of women and men um working for you know some of the the game companies you know and they're out there and they are to me, they seem to be doing more interesting things in terms of playing with, you know, pigments, playing with intensities of color in order to get an effect, you know. And um, even though I don't, I don't want to be painting like Rosetta, you know, like these buff, breasty women, you know, fighting dragons or something, which. I don't know. It kind of sounds fun, but uh, I don't know if I'll end up going there. But I do like I do like watching uh, artists of all types. Oh, what are they doing with with these colors? You know. Mm. So, I was wondering, you know, where is it that you exhibit your work? Do you have any galleries that you're kind of a resident? Yeah. So, um, so I, traditionally I have. So traditionally I've worked with with galleries. So. I'm not going to get too much into this, but um, I kind of hit a personal few years ago. I went through um, kind of a personal crisis and I just, my production was very low and, you know, I think the galleries are like, bro, I mean, if you want to send us paintings, we'll sell them, but you, know, you got to send us something. <laughs> And I had, I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't, anyway, I was, I went through a rough time in life, you know, where I wasn't. And I, um, so I've kind of been, I've been more prominent than I have in the last few years in my career. And I'm trying to, I've, I'm past all of that. I'm past kind of the crisis and, 
and gone through some healing and, you know, regeneration and whatever. And now I'm painting again. Um, and I'm, you know, I've got more workshops this year. So, you know, I, I had a publication contact me recently and said, we want to feature you. So, you know, there's more of these things happening. So gallery representation, representation is likely to occur again. But right now to see my work, you can see it online. You can see it on my website. You can see it in my studio and that's it. Um, but, um, you know, there are some competitions and things that, that we have annually that, you know, hopefully I can get in on those mm -hmm. um, because I'm, I'm about to the place where I've sort of, you know, gotten to baseline. So, like I said, I don't want to get too much into that. It's not, it's, no, a, it's not a pretty story, but it was a, sometimes you just go through life, you know, Absolutely. and life happened for me in a rough way and uh, whatever. It's yeah. uh, no, I get that. It's, that's uh, all I would say about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. I mean, it's usually we want people to shout out what galleries they're in, but if it's it's going to be your Instagram, your website, and then you'll be yeah. announcing on your Instagram, I assume, any other platforms because that's that's where it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, because um, yeah, I'll definitely um, I'll definitely be. You know, on my Instagram, every time I, you know, not every time, but most times I, I come up with a new painting, I'll post it on Instagram. And um, fortunately, lately, it's, they've been getting snatched up pretty quick. Um, but what I've done in the past and what I will end up doing is uh, when I do have gallery representation, you know, I'll post something and I'll say this painting is represented by so-and-so, you know, you know, contact them for inquiries. And then that's how it works on my website as well. So I have, uh, I have different galleries on my website and one is available work. And so um, for, for a potential collector, uh, they can go on there. And if they, you know, if they see an image they like, it will, there will be a link to, this is how you can purchase this or, you know, or inquire. And um, when a gallery is represented, you know, when I do have gallery representation, I just let them do That's their job. Right. So, mm -hmm. Um, I'll talk to them about the work, but in terms of selling, that's what they do. So I'm like, here, here's the link, call them, email them, whatever. And, um, you know, they'll negotiate the price for you or whatever that yeah. is. But That's good. Well, I mean, I'll put the links for your website and your Instagram in the description of this video for anyone who hasn't already seen your work, because it's obviously amazing body of work. It's lovely to see. So we'll be directing people. To oh, thanks a lot. Yeah, that would be great. That's all I got right now. Yep. No, it's amazing. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, David. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, this is this is another example of something that is, is, is starting to happen. Like people ask me, hey, you want to do a podcast or something? Fuck yeah, I want to do a podcast. You know, let's do it. <laughs> so thanks for your interest and for the conversation. Um, thanks, man. Good to yeah. meet you. Yeah, you too.